You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. I'm going to steal this real yeah. quick. All right. Well, my name is Aaron Rogers. It is really, really good to be here with you guys this morning. Excited to open God's Word and see what He has for us. Um, I am 34 years old. I am from Arkansas. Do we have any Arkansans in the house? Yes! Where are you from? Fayetteville. Man, I spent the last nine years in Fort Smith. Dude, let's... We're going to hang out later, okay? <laughs> Woo pig, okay? So, but now live in Ames, Iowa. Been there for about a year and a half, and we'll be planting a church across the state line from here, which I don't really want to talk about in front of you guys. It's in Kansas somewhere, okay? They do, thank you! I am so glad that you guys see that. So I'm going to go to where the heathens are and take the gospel there because they desperately need it. Yeah, so my family, I don't know, there's a, maybe a picture on the screen. I've been married for 11 and a half years and have two awesome kids. And yeah, we're heading to Kansas in about seven months to take the gospel to where it's needed. And really, really excited about that. I actually have known Stan for about two and a half years and Columbia Anthem has been on my heart for that entire time. And kind of a unique story how Stan and I got brought together two and a half years ago. Stan and I actually had a conversation about what it would look like for us to potentially partner together to be here. And so in a very strange way, I have been praying for Anthem and Columbia for years now. And so honored and excited to even be standing here and just sharing the stage with the, just the word and all that stuff this morning with you guys. So, yeah, really, really honored uh, to be here. Um, why don't we pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word, and we'll jump into our text this morning, okay? Jesus, we uh, hopefully are all coming together in one united heart, realizing that we are not perfect, but you are perfect, and that's why we sing songs about you, and so we need you in our imperfection, and this morning we have an opportunity, an incredible opportunity to open your word, to learn from it, and hopefully leave here completely changed by the truth that's in it. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been you guys have been, I say we, we've been going through uh, Nehemiah together. It's in the Old Testament. So grab your Bibles or open your apps or whatever. It's really going to be helpful and beneficial to have the text in front of you as we walk through it this morning. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 12. We are going to start in verse 27. Okay, Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Nehemiah. You'll get it. You'll find it. I was that guy who looked at the table of contents all the time, okay? And uh, there's a reason I'm stalling right now, because it's one of my pet peeves when pastors say open the Bible and they just immediately start reading. I'm that guy being like, I'm still trying to find it. Hang on, you know? So this is me stalling even further, because I still see a Bible flipping up here. So that's fine, because it's really important for all of us to just 
be there and ready to read God's word together, okay? So, Nehemiah chapter 12, all right? We're going to start in verse 27. I want to say before we read that this book was written to a very different people than you and I today, okay? It was written to a group of people that lived thousands of years ago, and you and I have a pretty significant disconnection with those people. So there's a lot of stuff, especially in the Old Testament, that when we read, we're just like, well, that doesn't have any relevance to my life today, okay? But we do believe that God's Word is alive and through the appropriate study, we can find that there's an incredible amount of relevance that, that comes out of it to our lives today. So even though it's so distant, written to a different people, we can still read it today and be like, whoa, God, I cannot believe there's some incredible truth that I need to be challenged with in my life from. So let's begin 27. Okay? And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem... They sought the Levites in all their places, and I can continue, but I want to stop there, okay? So, this is important context. If you missed last week or if you've missed a couple weeks, and even if it's your first time being here, welcome. It's my first time, too. We're both visitors today. Um, Israel, the people of God, okay, they have gone through a pretty horrific event to where their nation was lost, their city was destroyed, they were sent out into exile, and then they have returned home and rebuilt their city. They have rebuilt their walls and their gates, and they're super excited, and they're getting things kicked off, and they're having a dedication, okay, to the, the labor of their hands, to their walls, okay? So in chapters 8 through 10, the people of God were dedicated. All right, so now we're getting to this part in chapter 12 where the labor, the physical walls and gates, okay, all those things are now being dedicated to God, all right? So I understand, and that's kind of why I set this up with how there is a big disconnect. I get how you and I, we don't like walk into Columbia and have to pass through a wall. Right? So there's a little bit of a disconnect there with us and walls around cities. We don't have to deal with like castle walls and things like that. But it's really important to know that these walls were vital to them in their day. All right? So just to maybe contextualize a little bit, I actually had one of the volunteers at Anthem, as soon as the service started, they went out and started to find which of your car doors were open. Does anybody, did anybody lock their door? Raise your hand if you know your car is unlocked. <laughs> Stan raises hand. <laughs> How many of you have keys in your pocket? Do you know what keys are for? Most of them are for locking something, right? Why do we have keys to lock something? Why do we need to do that? Because we live in a broken, fallen world where if you don't lock your stuff down, someone's going to come and take it from you, right? How many of you live in an apartment? Raise your hand. 
Yeah? How many of you live in a dorm? Let's do that. Do you lock your, is your door automatically locked? Yeah? Maybe even if it wasn't locked, there's probably still a lock on the outside door to even get into that building, right? So we can totally contextualize a mini version of why walls were so important to them, all right? Because if I started taking your keys away and being like, hey, guess what? You actually can't ever lock anything again. How would you feel? Not very safe, okay? You would not feel safe as you walked around your life, right? You might as well just leave your car doors open when you got out and went to Walmart, right? Here, take whatever, you know? Like, they're important to us because they provide protection, they provide safety, and this is the same context, all right? But it's even, it's bigger for the people of Israel. It's not just an idea of protection. It was an entire identity for them that we now have our city back, okay? This protection, this identity, all of this kind of stuff, okay? They represented safety, hope, peace. This was a huge deal to them. So this was a big, big celebration, all right? Um, Yeah, so these walls, they literally protected from outside threats, all right? And it gave them a sense of like, we are finally a people again. Woo, right? So let's continue reading. Verse 27, it says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with, what, sadness? No, with gladness, right? You finally got a lock on your door again, and your stuff is getting to not be stolen again, right? This is great. Celebrate that, all right? With thanksgiving, with singings, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Nedah, also from Bethlehem, and from, I struggle with Old Testament. I went to Bible school and I still struggle with these things. I'm always insecure about how they sound, so I just, like, power through it and don't say them, okay? Um, and from the region of Geba and Ezra, from the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall, okay? There's a lot going on here. And I know even as I read that, you're like, man, they got a lot of logistics, and they have a lot of specifics on how they are about to dedicate and celebrate that they have their new city walls put up, okay? They took this very seriously. Now look at verse 31. And it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. Okay, now I love this. Where workers once stood, you know, masonries, people just building that wall, those workers are gone, and now worshipers are in that place where workers once stood, okay? And Nehemiah had instructions to place worshipers at very specific places and regions all around the walls and around the gates for the dedication, all right? Now, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit all the details over the next, like, eight or nine verses, okay? So, special instructions were given to Ezra and Nehemiah to lead these processions of celebration to literally, like, 
march around the walls and like, woo, go God, we have our walls. You know, this was a dedication, so they were doing that. Uh, they were supposed to go by specific gates that had been set up, all right, all with the purpose of dedicating their labor to God. Celebrate, all right? Now, this was supposed to be a joyful time. And the text says this. Over the next few verses, it says the, the words joyful praise. Three times it mentions instruments. Six times it mentions singing. Six times it mentions thanksgiving. And seven times it mentions rejoicing. This was a huge party, a loud celebration, okay? Because, remember the context, the context of the celebration was a response to a horrible, horrific event that happened in their past. Their city had been conquered, their walls had been broken down, and then had been taken from their home, okay? I don't know if you guys have been following the wildfires that have happened in Colorado, or California, excuse me, over the last several days and weeks. But it's truly horrific what has been going on there. I don't know if you kind of understand the magnitude, and even on a rainy day like this, it's even hard to comprehend that. But 220,000 acres have been completely burned to the ground. And again, that's like, I don't even understand how much that is, right? So I'm going to try to help you get there. Over 6,700 homes have been burned to the ground. Okay, devastation. All right, the cost of these damages, different people are saying it's at least $3 billion and it could be as high as $6 billion. This is bad. And this is happening right now, Okay. Do you guys know what the, uh, the square miles of Columbia, Missouri is? What? You are halfway there. <laughs> so the, the land mass of Columbia, Missouri is roughly about 63 square miles. Do you know how many acres that translates to? About 45,000. So imagine that the city of Columbia burned to the ground five times over. That's what's happening in California right now, right? Devastation. It's awful. It would take years to rebuild this city, okay? And how many of you are like from Columbia and this is home for you? Okay, so you kind of, like, that is in you, right? Your city is burnt to the ground, and you feel called to labor to rebuild it. Can you imagine the celebration and the joy that you would feel after that last street sign went up, and you had the confidence to say, finally, my city is back. After being completely decimated, destroyed, you would have incredible, like overwhelming joy. That is what the response of God's people are feeling right now. Our whole life has been just blown up. 
and we now have returned. We have this symbol of hope and security and peace and joy and all that kind of stuff, protection and through these walls and these gates. We have our keys and our locks and they're working now. This is huge, okay? So it was time to celebrate. And so they journeyed around the walls and the gates and then they finished at the temple to continue the celebration, all right? Now look at verse 40. Chapter 12, verse 40. It says, So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests of Elikim, uh, and then a lot of names, okay? Verse 43, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem, I love this, was heard from far away. These people were thrilled. Crazy, crazy excited. And I, I can't even imagine the joy that they felt. Everybody, the whole city was erupting, okay? But I love that the most important part of this dedication was not the march around the walls and through the gates. It was this expression of joyful praise that came from the people directed to God. All right? Look at verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, and the first fruits the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Okay, so there was some organization that was happening to like make sure that they had enough food and like the proportions were accurate and there were men that were given instruction over that. There was logistics involved. So with this dedication, it's like, hey, we got to get to work and we got to get organized. And I mean, it's like setting Columbia back up after it's being burnt to the ground five times over, right? Oh, hey, we kind of need a police force and we need a fire department and we need, you know, some stop signs up and we need, you know, someone to do this. And who's going to volunteer to do neighborhood watch? Okay, great. You know, this is what is happening for the nation of Israel, okay? In verse uh, 45, it says, and they perform the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. Verse 46, For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron, okay? So the people of Israel, this is the short version, had finally rebuilt their home. They dedicated it and worshiped and thanked God for it. So I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm sitting there asking myself, okay, awesome! Yay, history! What am I supposed to learn from this? Right, Jesus? Like, God, what, what is truth inside of this text for me? Because, man, there's got to be some good stuff. And I'm really, really excited to, to share with you 
that God is speaking to us today through this text, okay? Because, um, again, like, the separation is real. Like, I don't know about you, but I have never been a part of setting up a castle wall. The only wall that I have ever built was a landscaping wall in the front yard of my house. And I'll be honest, when I had the dedication ceremony for it, I brought my kids and my neighbors out, and we marched on top of it. It was weird, okay? No, we didn't do that, okay? Like, there's a little bit of a separation here, okay? But there is incredible truth that we can gain from this, all right? We have tons in common with these Israelites that lived thousands of years ago. And to be honest, what was true about them in this text is pretty much dead on true for us today. So there's three things that I want to draw out. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. The first thing is this. Dedicated thing or dedicated heart? Dedicated thing, object, or a dedicated heart? Do you think that God wanted Israel to dedicate the walls and just be done? No. God wanted their hearts to be dedicated to him. The walls, the gates, the city, their entire nation all had a purpose. It wasn't just to like say, hey, we built a wall. Cool, let's set up some lawn chairs and stare at it. The point of them existing as a nation and now having their city back was to enjoy God, to bring him glory, and to be a blessing to all the nations. And let's even ask this question. Do you think that Israel even really needed walls? Right? Because what are they there for? They're there for when that crazy band of pirates pull up from the Mediterranean and they run on and they're like, ah, and they run into the wall and they can't go in and like stab them and stuff, right? But in God's sovereignty over his covenantal relationship with his people, like, let's ask that question. Did they even really need the walls? Do you not think that in God's infinite power and his dominion and his glory that they needed these things set up around the city where his people lived? I would say no. You look all throughout the rest of the Old Testament before this happened, and all the times, the crazy times, God delivered his people through crazy circumstances just to illustrate the point where God says, hey guys, I got you. Even though it doesn't make any sense to you, I got you. But Israel wanted the walls, right? So God was like, okay, cool, have the walls. But where's your heart, right? Why did I give you these walls? So you would bless my name as God, not the thing, okay? And you and I are no different than this. What good is a dedicated church plant unless we're dedicated to Christ? Where is your heart? Stan, you guys had 
what, baby dedication last week? Praise God. You had baptisms? Woo! What good is a dedicated child unless you point them to Jesus at every turn? What good is the symbol of being baptism unless your heart is changed? Is it a dedicated thing? Or is your heart in tune and in step with that dedication? What are the motives behind that, okay? Because God cares so much more about our heart than the thing that we're actually dedicated to. And I'll be honest, like, when we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to be standing at the front gate handing out dedication pens. Right? There is only one dedication Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your kids or this church plant or your job or your awesome social media post or the rest of your life. I'm not saying that, okay? He, he does care about you. Therefore, he cares about the things in your life, but he's asking this question and he's helping to remind us of that through this text today. Where is our heart We need to make sure that all of us are centered on him through everything that we are doing. And maybe this morning, you've actually never dedicated your life to him. I mean, it has to start with that, with you. Here's the deal. You're God's. You're made in his image. Have you even given to him first what he owes? You your life. Because Jesus paid the ultimate penalty for you on the cross for your sins, the thing that you deserved. And it has to start with us saying, oh, Jesus, I'm I'm totally, I'm broken and I need you and I'm in need of a savior and you're the answer. I have to first give you me before I can even begin to sort out all of this mess around me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever called on the name of Jesus? Admitted that you're a sinner? And said, I I can't do it. I need you. It has to start with that first. Jesus alone is the dedication. So the second thing that we can see from this text, are you working for something, okay, and you don't own it? Like, I want to ask that question. Working for something does not mean that you own it. Now, I want to hope that makes sense a little bit. Because I cannot imagine day in and day out for these people in Israel working on those city walls, carrying brick after brick, okay? I bet as those people finish that that whole building and the dedication was about to begin, you know there's that one guy who's like, Dude, bro, you see that wall? It's totally me. I built that. And that guy's like, yeah, you see that gate? See that archway? That was me, man. I made that. Woo! They heard him from afar off, right? Because they were loud and they're excited. But do you think that each of those people owned that portion of the wall? 
No. Do you think that even Israel owned the, the whole thing? No. The wall is God's. Everything's his. Working for something doesn't mean that you own it. It's his already. So the question is, how are we stewarding that? So are you guilty of laboring for something and think that you own it? What about how much money you make? You think that's just yours? Huh? What about a specific ministry in this church? Raise your hand if you serve at Anthem in any capacity. You might have the sense of thinking, well, I serve in this area, so therefore I own it. It's mine, right? No, it's not yours. It's a gift that God has stewarded you to you for you to share it and bless it and, and have fun with it and point back to him, right? What about your kids, parents? You think you own them? I know sometimes you want to, right? But they're God's. Your job, your education, whatever you think you deserve. Working for something doesn't mean that you own it. It's all God's. We've just been given permission to use it. And we have two options when it comes to this. To neglect the owner or give the owner praise. Which are you doing? Are you neglecting the owner of that thing? Psst, it's God. Or are you actually giving him glory for it? Right? Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Continually. God, it's all you all the time. So the third thing that we can see from this text, how do you share what's been given to you? So if we have to first remember that we don't own it, then we need to ask the question, well, how do we share what's been given to us? I'm gonna reread 1247. It says, and all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, okay? And they set apart, they gave their portions, they obeyed, they went forward with, you know, this giving, all right? They didn't hoard it to themselves, all right? The result of this dedication, this joyful service, was a plentiful supply of food to sustain the work of the ministry for Israel. That's contextual to their situation, all right? For us, if God really cares about our heart, then he certainly cares how we share what's been given to us. He absolutely cares about that. 2 Corinthians 9 says, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How do we share what's been given to us? Maybe you can ask it this way. Am I grudgingly giving my time? 
am I grudgingly giving my talents? Or personal yet, am I grudgingly giving my treasure? Where is your heart when it comes to sharing what God has given to you? So let me sum this entire passage up for us today. Is Jesus sweet to you? How is your affection towards Christ right now? Or are you just consumed with the stuff he's given to you? This is extremely personal for me because this area of my life is constantly in check. Jesus, how's my affection for you today? Are you sweet to me today? And I'll be honest, there are days that I wake up as a pastor and as a future church planner that he's not. That I'm distracted, that I'm busy, that I'm using every excuse, that I'm lazy. And through my lack of discipline and my lack of effort in my relationship with Jesus, he's just not sweet to me. But much like my relationship with my wife, it actually takes a relationship to have a relationship. You know, if I called my wife up and I said, hey, so I think over the next year or so, I'm only going to talk to you a couple times and maybe write you a letter you know, I might see you maybe once a week, right? If we did that with God, which some of us are guilty of doing, we wouldn't have a relationship with him. It takes work to have a relationship with someone. And there's no more better person, more important person than God himself, the creator of all who loves us than for us to give him everything we have. Our affection, our time, our energy, to bless his name. So maybe this morning you need to be really simple with this whole conversation and identify just one specific area that you need growth in. Let me reword it. What's distracting you from Jesus? Is it social media? Sports? Your kids? Politics, sin. What is distracting you from being able to answer that question? Oh, my affection towards Christ right now is just so beautiful. And let me tell you all the ways. Because that is where God wants us. He wants our heart where our affections are for him. So this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to these truths. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. All right? So taking the Lord's Supper implies that you are intentionally benefiting from what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. If you're new here or maybe you're not a Christian and you're just checking out what church is and what Christianity is, we would ask for you to just observe today. Because communion is 
for the Christian who claims Jesus Christ because it is you saying, Jesus, thank you for the cross. I receive what you've done for me. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Paul is writing to this local church and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it, okay? So in a minute, you'll get up and you'll go to these stations all around the room. This one over here on my right, your left, is there's some gluten-free stuff for those of you. But break that bread. It's symbolizing Jesus' broken body, okay? He broke it and he said, Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It represents Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, it's kind of like when Israel marched on the walls. They got to see the results of their labor. They, they got to see what God had done, right? That's exactly what communion is for us. When we take it together, we get to see and we get to be reminded of what Jesus has already done for us. So in just a few minutes, just a few seconds, the, in fact, the band can go ahead and start coming up. But I want you to spend a few moments in prayer Pray to God. Ask yourself, am I dedicated to you or just the things that you've given me? God, I'm going to admit, because you already know the answer, where my affection is towards you right now. If you have any unrepented sin, claim that. Pray to God and beg his forgiveness, and he will, he will forgive He's already forgiven. So spend the time just responding to the gospel, returning to the gospel, and then enjoy the labor of Jesus on the cross and celebrate what's already happened, the beauty of the cross. So the band will play. You guys spend a minute or two in prayer, and then whenever you're ready, you can just get up and go to any one of these stations, rip the bread, dip it in the juice, Take communion and celebrate what God has done for you.